Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome, and today we're going down the road to Kitchener-Waterloo to talk to Jeff Wilmer of A Better Tent City, among other things. And we're going to find out more about what that means and what he does and how he's making a difference in a community that's very close to me. So, Jeff, tell me about your academic background first. I don't think about academic background much because it's so long ago. <laughs> but uh, I attended University of Waterloo in the uh, in the geography program, a co-op, and and I, th- I think it was probably because I wasn't aware of city planning as an option when I came out of high school, but I knew that I was interested in spaces and places and maps, and so that led me to geography, and that, and that led me to a career in planning. Okay, so... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about your work career. Did you work while you were at university or? Yeah, I, w- I was in the co-op program. So I had uh, work terms interspersed with my my, my formal education. So <clears throat> that, uh, that that was a big, big part of my education actually. It was, uh, was the, the practical application of what we were learning in theory. Um, and so then shortly after graduation, I, I started working as a, as a planner in first in Woolwich Township, when Waterloo Region, and then in the city of Kitchener. Okay. Go back to your uh, co-ops again. Who did you work for there? Uh, there? There was a variety of different ones. Uh, so city of Mississauga was in, in uh, parks and recreation. They were doing a master plan. Uh, Brantford Economic Development uh, which was was sort of inventorying uh, what we now consider brownfield industrial sites to consider what attributes they had for for redevelopment or reuse. Um, City of Kitchener um, has in uh, doing a, a neighborhood improvement program, and then another one also with City of Kitchener uh, following up on that. Excellent. So when did this organization that you're now involved in? start and what does it do right so a, a better tent city uh, i'll start with what what does it do it, it it provides housing for people who were living unsheltered uh, the people who either who, who were homeless for, for for starters but also either could not use the local shelter system or would not use the local shelter system and so um this goes back now about four years, actually. It was just before COVID um, that my late friend, the Ron, uh, the, my friend, the late Ron Doyle, um, called me to say, you know, I, I can't believe it. We look at the streets of Kitchener-Waterloo and we see people living homeless. Like this, this surely this can't be. We're such a, um, a, a, a prosperous community. We call ourselves an innovative community. How is it that we, we haven't solved this problem? These people need help. And nobody else is helping them. He had the idea of tiny homes as part of the solution, and, uh, and so we started working on that. And and we engaged the University of Waterloo planning students to help us do some some uh, uh, some design work and some uh, research into what other communities were doing. And then when COVID hit, um, Ron owned industrial property that was an events space, 
and there were no events during the COVID shutdown. So he said, why don't we use this property? So um, so we, we brought in uh, tiny homes, so sleeping cabins, basically eight foot by 10 foot cabins. Um, and, and each person had their own uh, safe place to sleep and store their belongings. And then there were shared facilities for a kitchen, washroom, showers, and so on. So that's what we, we quickly became a community of 50 people. And it, it met our expectations in terms of providing shelter and safety and dignity, but it exceeded our expectations in terms of building community. So having said that, is there a site person who helps people? There is, and there has been since day one. Nadine Green is very much a part of this, this community and of even the, the concept. Um, when Ron and I were just still thinking about the idea, we met Nadine, who was was running a convenience store in downtown Kitchener, but she had a heart for homeless people, and she opened up her convenience store as a pop-up shelter, and she allowed people to sleep in it overnight. And so when we met Nadine, her convenience store basically had become a shelter for at least 20 people, and we were really struck by how cooperative the people were and how quiet and clean the place was because they recognized that they they needed to respect each other's privacy and Nadine's hospitality. Um, and also maybe they recognized that this was their last chance, that they, you know, they maybe had been restricted from using the shelters. Um, they had been sleeping in doorways or in laneways. And so they realized that, wow, you know, this is a great opportunity. I, I want to make the most of it. So that inspired us that, uh, that the people who need help um, can band together as a community and be able to help manage that community. That's, that's so amazing. fast forward to a better tent city. We, we call it that because there are no tents. It's, it's better in the sense that like a, like a tent city, people look after each other and they, you know, there's safety in numbers and there's cooperation and, and protection but it's better in the sense that people have a cabin with insulation and electricity and a radiator and they have a kitchen and they have toilets and showers and all those facilities that make it better. Nadine actually chooses to live in the community. She lives in one of the tiny homes herself and she's like a mother figure for the 50 res residents who live at a better tent city. So do people apply to get into tent city or how does that work? Uh, no, not really. It's it's much less formal than that. Um, Nadine uh, is involved with uh, reaching out to people who are living rough. And so she had connections in the community, including restaurants who provided meals, provided food. And so she would load up the trunk of her car with food and blankets, and uh, and she would go where she knew that homeless people were, whether that was back alleys or parks. And she would just uh, give them a hug and a meal and a blanket. And so so she got to know the people. And uh, so she she was quickly able to say, you know, the, these are people who need this type of community and would benefit from this type of community. Once we got established, then certainly there are more there are more people in need than we have capacity to accommodate. And so uh, we do have a lot of visitors and the visitors are are. Many of them are kind of like auditioning to, to be part of the community. They know they'll help um, up floors and, and scrub pots and pans and, and carry out the garbage and things like that just to show that they can be helpful contributors. Um, 
So in the early days, it was really entirely left up to Nadine to decide, you know, who should be part of the community. Um, more recently, we have formalized that a bit, and we do have a waiting list so that if a cabin becomes available, uh, then we know who's who's next up on the list. So do you have some kind of team structure to support this, Jeff? We do. We um, in, in the early days, I would say for the first year, this was really one man's project. This was Ron Doyle's idea. It was it was his inspiration and it was his property where we were where we were located. Um, unfortunately, Ron was in failing health at that time. And so um, the property was sold. The new owner really didn't want to become the landlord of, of, uh, of 50 homeless people. And so we have relocated. But also at that time, we thought if this is if this is going to be sustainable, we need an organization around it. So we we formed a not-for-profit corporation, uh, which was pretty quick and easy to do. Um, and then we started the process towards becoming a registered charity, which took longer. But we are both of those things now: a not-for-profit corporation and a charity. We are run by volunteers. There's a six-member board of directors. The same six people are the the, the regular leadership group for operational leadership. Um, and that group meets weekly. Most of those same people are on site very regularly, uh, helping out and giving guidance. Um, and now in addition to Nadine who lives on site, we have three other full-time staff who help out with uh, maintaining the property, uh, helping coordinate the kitchen and helping connect the residents with with services in the community and community supports so what kind of programming takes place uh, well i'm going to start with health care uh, the one of the challenges with with living homeless is that that people don't have good access to health care and that what might start out as a minor cut or scrape starts you know quickly becomes an infection and and could become quite debilitating and they end up in the emergency room so emergency rooms spend a lot of resources helping homeless people when they really don't shouldn't need to if those things are addressed earlier on so healthcare is delivered on site there's a mobile bus uh, like a bus that's a mobile clinic and it uh, comes to this it, this is a service operated by sanguine mobile health in waterloo region and sanguine had th these buses sort of going out into the streets to help people that were in the streets. Now it's much more efficient because they know there's 50 people in one place. And so they come twice a week, spend about three hours. Uh, the, the, the nurse practitioners on the bus know the residents by name and vice versa. The, 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 the level of health care is, is really, really helpful to the residents. And the level of trust is, is quite something to behold as well because the residents are generally uh, suspicious or untrusting of authority figures and so the fact that they know um, that that uh, the practitioners on the bus are are trustworthy and, and reliable people that really helps when when they when they need help there they don't hesitate to go to the bus so that's one element of it um, the food program is another that all the meals are provided on site the food bank of Waterloo region has been a huge supporter of ours um, and volunteers uh, have helped make meals, um, particularly the, the evening meal. Um, and so that becomes a time of, of sort of a community building time to during meal preparation and, and during meal time. Um, we are starting to 
enhance the services as well in terms of um, involving a local not-for-profit with uh, restorative justice counseling and uh, and helping people become better problem solvers and conflict managers. Um, and then some other programs that are that are more sort of artistic and recreational, um, whether it's sort of an art and craft type of thing or uh, or a euchre night or those type of things that the residents have have talked about because we have a, a wonderful community space. We have uh, three portable classrooms that are strung to get together end to end. So it's quite a large space, 24 feet by 90. Um, so it's, it's our kitchen, dining, living and laundry space. What about job hunt? Do you help anybody with job hunt? Yeah, so, so it's interesting. When, when Ron and I started this, certainly that was our intention. We thought, we well, let's give people stability and then once they're settled, they'll certainly be able to, you know, re-enter the workforce and and get back to a normal life. We had no idea the the depth of the challenges that caused people and led them to be homeless. That it was really starts with mental illness and drug addiction. That in the early days, when I I asked Nadine, you know, how many of the residents here are living with drug addiction, and she said, all of them. Like that's why they're homeless. That the addiction has derailed their lives and but that's but the root cause of it really is or the underlying situation is mental illness trauma um injury the you know the things that led people to start to to rely on drugs as an escape um that that's really sidetracked their lives so to get back to your question peter um there are limited opportunities for people to to get work and 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 certainly we have had some experience with that, but our expectations are are probably more tempered now. That that um, work on site is certainly a big part of their lives. Taking responsibility for helping manage and maintain the site. Some of that is, you know, their chores that they're expected to do as a resident. Some of it is is more compensated work. That sort of the 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 bigger jobs or the tougher jobs that they can they can earn a small stipend. For, for going the extra mile. So um, so it's a combination of, of um, uh, voluntary chores, uh, bigger work for a stipend for people who have managed to find sort of itinerant work offsite. So other people have looked at your model, obviously, and uh, what is it, Two Steps Home is one in Toronto that's looking to uh, and a copy or use some of the techniques that you've used. Are there other communities besides Toronto who have shown interest? Yes, the the, the first community that actually moved quickly to to do something similar was Duncan, BC. That they they established sleeping cabins there. They did it a little differently than ours, and they didn't have the common facilities for like for kitchen and shower and things like that. So they experienced limited success because they still had people sort of wandering in the community. They had a safe place to sleep, but they really didn't form community. Kingston, Ontario, I think, was was a was also one that that followed our lead, and they uh, established and still have a community very much like ours with sleeping cabins for individuals and then shared facilities for kitchen and washrooms. Kingston actually. If I've got this right, I think they still move twice a year. That they um, they use an arena facility in the summer when it's not hockey season, 
and then they use the sailing club facility in the winter when it's not sailing season. So they make use of facilities that are already there, which is very efficient, and they do move twice a year, which probably is you know adds some complexity to it. But um, so Kingston was one of the first. Peterborough, Ontario, uh, has shown interest, and there are two communities of tiny homes in Peterborough, either running or very soon to open. Um, Toronto, as you mentioned, Hamilton is very well organized and getting close, and there's communities all across Ontario where citizens have reached out to us to say, we are interested in what you're doing. We'd like to do something similar. Can you help us? And so uh, Tony Storks, who who has established a, uh, an organization now called Better Street, uh, he's available to help people do that. And I'm always available as well to, to explain how we did it. So Jeff, do you have an operations manual or kind of a, how do I do this? Uh, we do well. Tony does. Tony had uh, wrote the book on on how to how to set this up, how to get it organized, and how to manage it. And he's got great insight on that because he worked at a better tent city for a uh, better part of a year and a half, I think, in the early days, and in, and coordinating two moves of what as well, where we moved the entire community in a day. Um, so yeah, Tony has good insight on on some of the operational challenges and realities. And, and on the people side of it, because the biggest uh, opportunity as well as challenge is to help people with complex needs. And uh, so Tony has good, good insight on that. And so, yeah, he, he's, he's written the book and it's, uh, it's available free of charge on his website. So having said that, where do you see your organization three years from today? Hmm. It's a fascinating question, really, because I, I think... In the early days, we felt this should be a temporary solution, a short-term solution, that the real solution is is housing, housing for all, and affordable, with supports affordable, necessary, affordable, affordable housing. housing. Um, but we knew that it would take some time to get there, and so we thought this is, this is a, a good interim solution to help give stability and hope for people until housing can be uh, made available. What we're realizing now, we're three and a half years into this project, just in terms of the numbers, the problem is getting worse before it gets better. There are, even though municipalities are finding innovative ways to house people and shelter people, there are still more people needing shelter. So three years from now, I hope we won't need this anymore because everybody's housed, but I suspect we probably will. And um, we, we're, we're hopeful that we can stay where we are. We have an interim, or what we call it an interim, at a short-term site. We're we're uh, we're parked on the lawn of the school board of their administrative offices in Waterloo Region, and they've been very compassionate hosts for us. Um, so the property, sort of half of it, is owned by the school board, half of it's owned by the city of Kitchener, and so it's a great site for us. It's working out well. It's at the edge of a business park. Um, and so there, you know, it doesn't have a lot of sensitive neighbors. There's no residences or schools nearby. Um, so we'd like to stay where we are. We really don't have capacity to grow beyond the, the 42 tiny homes that we've got, but we now serve in addition to the 50 residents, about 40 to 50 other visitors who are there by day to get a meal or to use the toilets or the showers, uh, or just to have a, a safe place to be or to, to stay warm. So, 
Yeah, we, we never intended to set up as a drop-in, but it has evolved to that. And we kind of struggle with, is is that really where we want to go? But um, but certainly there's people that need help and and we, we have some capacity to offer help. Well, Jeff, you're passionate about what you do. I'm sure you have some fun doing it as well. <laughs> I guess fun is in the eye of the beholder, but yeah, there's, there's certain satisfaction in this and knowing that we can help people, you know, with a, a small number have moved on to permanent housing and that's a beautiful thing. But even the small, uh, the, the successes when people reconnect with loved ones, um, you know, I often tell the story about a young guy who, who had been living under a bridge, like he had, addiction problems had really sidetracked his life but he, he had left uh, his partner and, and little kids and and you know while while he was living on his under this bridge I'm sure his partner would not want to go see him or to have his children see him but once he got to a better tent city you know he had a safe place to be he was rested he was cleaned up he was fed he was more like himself again and so that mom and, and little kids came to visit the dad and it was just a beautiful thing to see these kids and the big smile on their faces because they got to see their dad and he, you know, he looked like himself. So those kind of reconnections are sort of the the small successes that we have. And and I think there's all kinds of them that happen daily that give hope to the lives of the residents that maybe there was a point in time where everybody had given up on them, but they now know that we haven't given up on them. And the, the volunteers, the many volunteers, especially in the kitchen, that come there because they choose to be there and they choose to help and uh, they show love in that way, and I think the residents um, are lifted up by that. That's terrific. Thank you for your time this morning, Jeff. Thank you, Peter.